Um, we, are, we are in the third week of a series that we're calling Blessed. Um, and today is the day that most of you came because I told you two weeks ago that today was the day I was going to teach you what to do with stupid people. Right? Is that why you're here? Like I heard this was a stupid person church. I wanted to come see what was going on. Um, so before we even go any further, I want to give you picture proof evidence, picture evidence that there are stupid people in the world. Um, so let's just check this out. Here's one. Um, have you heard of the Darwin Awards? Yes. Who has not heard of the Darwin Awards? Okay. The Darwin Awards are given out annually to people who not only try really stupid things, but die when they tried them. So the only way you can get a Darwin Award is to die. I know that sounds like a mocking death, but I'm not. It's just that You'd be amazed what people do when they... Anyway, so this was Darwin Awards. Sometimes you just see it coming. These are men in a pool with a surge protector and stuff plugged into it. Probably not smart. Uh, let's see some other things. Um, it's hard to tell those guys, but they're wearing like stuff around. They're like lights and bling, and it just says internet. It doesn't make you stupid. It just makes your stupidity more accessible to others. <laughs> okay, let's see if they get better. I thought the first service had a much better sense of humor. Get a brain, morans. Okay, now I got you, right? Now I got you. Because if you're going to spell, if you're going to make fun of people, you need to know how to spell moron, right? Yeah, and some of you right now are like, isn't that how you spell moron? No, let's just move on. This is a man sitting on a branch cutting it off. And no, I did not sneak into your yard yesterday and take a picture of you. And here's the last one. I used to be a painter, okay? So I love this one because I used to do stuff like that. I mean, that's not what a ladder was made for. And the great thing about this is that his friend is taking the picture, right? Not helping him or anything like that. So I just want you to see right away that there are stupid people in the world. You are surrounded by them. Um, today we're going to talk about what to do with them. But because I want to kind of keep you... On the hook, I'm not going to do that till last. That's going to be number three. Sorry. You have to sit through the first two to get to that. And, and I noticed when I was getting those pictures, they came from a website. This is the kind of stuff that happens all the time. The website is, is made to make fun of stupid people, right? I mean, so they put things up that dumb, they call them dumb people, like things that dumb people do. But as I was saving all the images, I noticed the file names for all the pictures. And it was D-U-M-P. Slash and then like the image name, dump people. Like I think the dumb people website spelled dumb wrong. It's D U M B. So it doesn't matter. Like sometimes like stupid people make fun of stupid people. It's just it just it's just bad, right? So they're everywhere. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And here's why: because we're we're going to call these things blessing blockers. It sounds kind of weird and geeky, but there's three major categories. I told you this two weeks ago. Three major categories of what we're calling blessing blockers. Because here's what we've gotten to in the first two weeks of blessed. The first week we asked one simple question: Does God want us to be happy? And it sounds like you should say no, doesn't it? Like just if you were raised in church, it sounds like the good Christian thing to say is. No, God doesn't want me to be happy. But what we found is the very first sermon that Jesus ever preached publicly, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, nine times in nine verses, he used the word blessed. That's where we get our series title from. And in the Greek, that word, I'm going all Greek on you. In the Greek, that word blessed means blessed. <laughs> Were you surprised by that? And happy. So Jesus was saying, happy are these. And happy are these people. And ha Jesus, he wants us. 
to be happy. And then last week we asked this question. If God wants us to be happy and the answer is yes. See, we still feel funny saying that, right? If he wants us to be happy, the question is why? What's the purpose of us being happy? So last week we looked at a man named Abraham. And if you were here last week, you remember the story where he was old and God promised him that he was going to have a child. And so an old man gets a promise to have a child. That's pretty bizarre, right? And he has a kid. And then we looked at, in Genesis 22, one of the weirdest verses, one of the weirdest chapters in the whole Bible, where God said to Abraham, take this child, this promise that I gave you, and kill him. Now, if you're a parent of a teenager, there's days that you might kind of think that's a good plan, right? Every other day, maybe. Not once a month, twice a month. But for Abraham to take the promise of God and be willing to kill him, what we learned last week is that God, the biggest lie the church buys is that God's, he wants to bless me. But he don't want to bless me. He wants to bless through me. So when Abraham said to God, I'll take the son, the only son that you promised me, that you gave me, and he took him up on a mountain, and he was willing to kill him, to sacrifice him, which is bizarre, hard to wrap your brain around. At some point, God said, stop. And he saw that he was willing to sacrifice that. And when he was willing, that's when God said this promise. Because you've not withheld your son. Because you've not just said it's about me and God blessing me, which is how we define happiness, am I right? I'm happy, as long as I'm happy. God said, it's not about your happiness. It's about you being willing to sacrifice what I've given to you so that I can pour it through you. That's what we learned last week. That's the purpose. That's why God wants you to be happy. And if I boil it down even more, it's like this. Last week, we talked about grumpy people. When's the last time you saw a grumpy person on the street and you walked up to them and said, how's it going? Like, never. Because when you see grumpy people, you don't go up to them, you go away from them. But have you ever seen somebody who's just like in such a great mood, they're just like so on cloud nine, you're just like, you don't even know if you like them, but you're just kind of drawn to them. Like, dude, did you win the lottery? How did you get so freaking happy? And we're just drawn to them. That's kind of what last week was about. That when the church carries itself blessed by God, so we can bless others. We have an audience in the world to share that with. But if we're walking around like most Christians, never smiling, grumpy, looking like we swallowed some prunes or something, like we got constipation, nobody's asking us anything about Jesus. Okay, so that brings us to today. Because we want to be honest as a church and admit this. Aren't there times that we don't feel happy? Yes. So I was raised in church. I was basically born in the pew, not literally, but pretty close. And so here's what I learned growing up. I don't think anybody ever said it, but it's just kind of the environment of how we do church. That when you come to church, you smile because you mean it, or you smile anyway. You just put on the happy face, great, me and Jesus, woo And then you go back to your house Monday through Saturday, and everything sucks. So we want to at least say right up front, there are times in our lives that we do not feel blessed. At least I'll say that for me. Okay, and so we kind of boiled them down to three categories, and those are the three that we're going to talk about today. I'll give them to you right now, and then we'll talk through them. Number one is sin, number two is situations, and number three, the one that you came for, is stupid people. All right, so we're going to say that one to the end. So number one, here we go. The first blessing blocker is sin. 
Um, I'm going to do something that we don't do a lot at the gathering. I'm going to just throw a bunch of scripture verses out to you. I'm not going to take the time to read them because there are a ton. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take a pen, and I'm going to ask you to write down these references, and later, when you can go home, and let's be honest, take the time to look in the table of contents and see what page that book's on, you can look these up for yourself. Because what we like to do at the gathering typically is this. Pick a passage and just teach on that. Because we recognize this. A lot of people in our society do not know the Bible. They don't know where Genesis, well, they know Genesis and Revelation because it's the beginning and the end. But if I throw out like Haggai, you're like, bless you, right? I have no idea what you just said. It's some foreign language and you're really incredible. Um, But if I said that, we would spend 10 minutes trying to find out where that is in the Bible. And we don't want to make you feel stupid. We don't want to make anybody feel dumb. We just want to say, hey, look, here's a passage. Let's teach on it. But this day, today, because God is so committed to getting these blessing blockers out of the way, I want to make sure you, you see how much he's committed to these verses. These verse. I'm going to throw verses out at you. You're going to write them down. Go home, read them, and see how, what they say. I'll tell you, paraphrase what they say today, and then you go home and say, does that make sense? Huh, that was a long explanation. Okay, number one, blessing blocker. So write down Hebrews 11.25. Not many preachers are going to say this to you, but I will. There, is, there are times that sinning is a blast. Okay? And Hebrews 11.25 says that. It says that for a season, Moses chose to obey God rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. So there's a time in our lives when sin is fun. Sometimes as Christians, we try to convince the world that they're unhappy. And they're like, no, I'm not having a great time, but for a season, okay? And, and here's, here's what I want you to get. Sin's not so much an action as it is an attitude. Does that make any sense at all? Let me give you an illustration that will make sense, all right? Now, this is sensitive. I get it. I'm not trying to slam anybody. It's just, and it, maybe it's because I've got a weird mind, but it's the first one that came to my mind. I think it's a great illustration of what we're trying to talk about, that sin is not so much always the wrong thing. There are wrong things that you shouldn't do. Everybody's heard those, that list of do's and don'ts. But sin sometimes is the right thing at the wrong time, in the wrong place, with the wrong person, with the wrong attitude. Okay, so let's just take, I'm going to say it out loud right now in the South, sex. Okay, it's out there. Nobody died, right? Let's just take that as, for example, okay? That is not a bad thing in the right place. Do you see? But in the wrong place, at the wrong time, with the wrong person, it is. So to make sure you get this, Nobody's going to go to work tomorrow. You're not going to have anybody come to you to work tomorrow. They're going to have a megaphone in their hand. And here's, here's what's not going to happen at work tomorrow. They're going to walk out and go, hey, guess what? I'm having an affair. Yep, it's going great. It's fantastic. My, my wife doesn't know about it, but it's all good, man. It's all good. I just want you to know. It's so cool. It's so cool. Like we go down to that hotel. They don't do that, do they? Wait, are you from the same place I am? Do you work in a place like that? No, they don't do that. Even people that don't believe in Jesus, that don't want to follow him as Lord, that would swear to you that this is just a book. Even those people, when they are doing wrong, try to hide it. Have you noticed that? Nobody's calling up the IRS. Hey, I just want to let you know I cheated on my taxes. No, they're hiding it. That's what we do. 
See, you don't have to believe in Jesus. You don't have to even believe in the Bible to know this, that sin is real. So we don't have to take the time this morning to debate that. Let's just, let's just admit it. There is sin. This isn't about whether there's sin or not. This is about how does sin affect us as believers? How does it block the blessing in our life? So here are a ton of verses. I'm going to read them. Um, you just jot them down. You can go back home today and study them. You ready? Got your pens ready? Okay, me and Wendy, here we go. Numbers 32, 23. Numbers 32, 23. It says that sin exposes us. Psalm 51, 3 says that sin leads us to regret. Psalm 40, 12. It envelops us. It suffocates us. It surrounds us is what the psalmist says. Am I going too fast? It's number, thir- number 32, 23. Psalm 51, 3. Psalm 40, 12. Isaiah 59, 12. Um, you've probably had this happen. It says that sin grows and gets bigger. Have you ever um, tried to keep something a secret, but then it got out? And then what are, you, what are you doing after that? You're like trying to catch up to it and pull it back in. Making phone calls. Hey, have you heard anything? But you can't catch up to it, can you? Because once it's out, especially in Albemarle. Dang. Like once it's out, it's out. Like you find yourself watching Channel 3 News at 11 expecting them to talk about you, right? It's like, it's, it, that's, what, it's, that's what sin does. That's what it says, Isaiah 59, 12, that sin grows. It keeps getting bigger. Um, Proverbs 28, 13 says that sin keeps us from prospering. Psalm 51, 12 says that sin leads us away from joy. I told you I was going to give you a lot of verses. Don't be overwhelmed by it, okay? Just get this fact. Man, sin is real, and it really does affect us negatively. Romans 3.23 says that sin leads us to failure. And then finally, Romans 6.23 says that sin leads us to death. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say this. I don't think that anybody would say that being exposed, overwhelmed, trapped, full of regret, defeated, and dying is a life that we would call happy, happy, happy. Am I okay with that? Okay. None of us would say, hey, this is my life. Describe it that way and then say, but I'm blessed. Sin blocks all the blessing from God. So what do we do? What's the answer for sin? It's, it's the R word that we've turned into a cuss word in the church. It's repentance. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Um, Peter's preaching and here's what he said. Repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What do you do? How do you get refreshed? Tall glass of iced tea? Toes in the sand? I don't know, man. But refreshing is good, right? I mean, maybe you're one of those stupid people. Refreshing to you is going through a car wash with your windows down. I don't know, right? But we love to get refreshed. Really hot day. Nice cold glass of water, Coke, or some other beverage of your choice. At the end of the race yesterday, people grabbing bottles of water. This Saturday when I'm running, chocolate milk. I mean, just whatever. We love to be refreshed. I, I love that. God says this, man. Sin is so strong. It's so powerful. It will block this stuff in your life so much that if you'll simply repent, which is this. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going this way, 
and you meant for me to go that way, and so I'm not going to go, I'm really sorry that I'm going this way, God. I'm really sorry that I'm going this way, but I'm actually going to turn around and go the way God wants me to go. That's repentance, okay? I've mentioned this to you before. I dated a girl one time. I, I know it's hard to you, for you to picture me as being sarcastic, but I was. And, and I used to, like, pick on her all the time, and, and, I, and I would say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then one time she said, don't be sorry, just change. Dang. Wow. That's what repentance is. I mean, we can tell God we're sorry all day long, right? But at some point God says, okay, but just change. Repentance is the change. And the Bible says here that when we repent of sin, that God removes that. And the block is gone, and now times of refreshing come. That's so good. I liked it. I don't know if y'all do or not. Okay, no, number two. Blessing blocker number two is situations. Um, there are some situations that are terrible because we sin. Would you agree with that? Yes? Okay, that's not what we're talking about, all right? These are not situations that you do to yourself. These are situations that just happen because you're alive. The, the one I can think of, and I use it all the time. Sometimes I feel like I use it too much, but it's my story. It's just what happened in my life. When my mom and my brother died within 20 days of each other, that's a bad time, okay? That's something you don't expect. Nobody sinned to make that happen. We were just alive. We were living. Some of you have been through stuff like that. What are some other situations that can come up that don't have necessarily to do with sin? How about being sick? How about being persecuted? What about losing your job? What about relationships? Sometimes things happen in those situations and you didn't do anything to make it happen. Nobody sinned. You didn't sin. They didn't sin. It just happened. Those are the kind of situations that we're talking about. When you find yourself in, just in that place, that dark place. He was really fast, wasn't he? So here's what the Bible says about hard situations. What's great about me saying that is that this will be the service that goes on the video later. And so all the people in the video are going to see, and I know you're listening, that's cool. They're going to they're be watching me and they're going to see a head just fly by. And then they're going to hear me say that and they'll be like, that was weird. <laughs> that's why you should come to the service. It's a lot more fun. Okay, so here, here's what the Bible says about hard situations. Get your, your pens out. Here's a couple more verses. John 16, 33. John 16, Jesus is talking. He says this, that, that hard times are to be expected. Now, that's not what you want to hear, and it's not really what I want to preach, but it's the truth because Jesus said it. That hard times are to be expected. They are not because somebody sinned or because you made a bad choice all the time. Sometimes we just experience hard times because we're living, we're, we're breathing, we're alive. Jesus said to expect it. Psalm 9, 9. Psalm 9-9 says that when hard times come, they oppress us. Have you ever been oppressed? Do you know what oppressed feels like? When I met Wendy and we started dating, she got stalked. She had a stalker. It was not me. <laughs> we, would, we would meet and we would go for walks and she would turn to me and she would say, um, something feels weird. And I was like, are, are you okay? Is it me? Is it you? You know, like you don't know what's going on. And she said, I feel like somebody's watching me. I'm like, wow, like you're really pretty and crazy. And then we found out somebody was watching her. Like I would go see her and then when I would leave, like somebody would knock at the door and she'd open it and like, there he was, stalker. Man, 
when that's how oppression feels. Some of you are there. Some of you are in those places. You're in those difficult situations and you feel that. Like, I just can't shake it off. It's like hard times are stalking me right now. The Bible says that's what they do. Psalm 34, 18 says that they break us. It doesn't actually say, thus saith the Lord, hard times break thou. What it says is that it mentions brokenhearted people. Have you ever had your heart broken? Not by the third grade girl that you wrote the note to. I like you, check yes, no, or maybe. And she put no, and you're like, oh, God, it's terrible. I can't bear it. But have you really had your heart broken? Man, the Bible says, actually, like, who can sustain a broken spirit? You were not made to carry a broken spirit. That's what hard times do. But here's the cool thing about all three of those passages, is that one half is terrible and the other half is good. So let's just walk through them real quick. John 16, 33. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But, everybody say, but. I love big buts. Don't you love big buts, right? But, but. Take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I love that. Psalm 9-9 says that hard times oppress us, but, everybody say but. But the Lord is our refuge. I don't know where you go to get away, right? But I know you go to get away. I love to be a pastor on Facebook towards the end of the summer because you see this status all the time. Just 72 more hours and my feet are in the sand. You know, and it's, I don't get, it's not a bad thing. You know what they're saying? They're saying, man, life is just overwhelming me. I have got to get away. I need a refuge. I don't know where you go for a refuge. A lot of people do the beach. A lot of people do the mountains. I don't know where you go. For me, my home is a refuge. But you got to have somewhere. And you know what this verse says? I love this. If you're in a hard place right now, you're going through a tough situation. If something happened right now, nobody in our church could ever go on vacation again. This verse says we don't have to get away to get away. This says the Lord is a refuge. And in Psalm 34, 18, we read it a minute ago. They break us, but the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And here's what that means, just so you get this, okay? We have a checklist in our head. If I asked you to describe the perfect Christians, we would say things like this. Um, You know, they read the Bible, right? Yes. They pray. They pray a lot. They tell their friends about Jesus. They dress a certain way. We don't do that here, but, you know, they look a certain way. They, they listen to 91.9 and 94.1, even though it's the same 10 songs. But they listen to it, right? And they don't wish they could listen to something else. That's a real Christian. So if we put that real Christian right here, and then if we put me here, and here's my life, right? We talked earlier about being brokenhearted. I don't know how you react when you're brokenhearted. But for me, when I'm really brokenhearted, I cry. And I'm not a pretty crier. I'm an ugly crier. I mean, I'm like, there's tears coming out here. So there's, there's water on my eyes. And there's snot coming out the nose. And it's dangling and stuff, you know. And like, I don't even care if I'm trying to wipe it. And then there's like sweat everywhere. That's me when I'm brokenhearted. So like, look, um, like Tara... Never come to the altar and take a picture of me if I'm just really brokenhearted, right? It would be, well, you'll want to because you want to blackmail me, but it won't be good, right? Man, if, if I was sitting here and I was like that, and then we had perfect Christian man here, and this verse says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Here's what that means. You've got to get this if you're in a tough place. It means that if Jesus walked into this church and he stood right in front of the two of us, and if Jesus had to pick 
one person to talk to, he would pick me. He would pick you. He would not go to the person that we're pretty sure is the perfect Christian. Because he's near to the brokenhearted. Do you, do you get that? And there's so much hope in that, isn't there? And we haven't even gotten to the stupid people yet. This is already a good message. We haven't even gotten there yet. Last verse. Um, just the good news for those of us that are in hard situations. Zephaniah 317. It really is a book and it really is in the Bible. And here's what happens in Zephaniah 317. The prophet is writing to the people of God and they are in a tough spot. Okay, he's not. Now, if you read any Old Testament prophet books, you'll, you'll picture them like this. They're so mad and they're always talking about how bad people are and you failed God and it's miserable and he's going to kill you and yada, yada, yada. But in this instance, he's not talking about how bad they are. He's just talking to them like God wants to say something to you. And here's the climate in which God says it. Okay, they're in a society that is corrupt and wicked and full of sin. That's the society that it's so, you know, basically like, you know, Midland, right? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you're from Midland, I'm just joking. Really, really not really. Okay. So that's the society that they're in. And God delivers a message to the people of God that are in that environment. So they're in a bad situation. They didn't sin to get there. He's not beating them up. He just wants to tell them something. And, and here's, here's what he tells them. I should have been turning to this while I was doing all that. And that's what really good preachers do. Sorry. Zephaniah 3, 17. God said this. The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And that's what God says to people that are in tough situations. That didn't get there because they sinned or because someone else sinned. They just got there because they're living. And God doesn't run from drama like we do, right? We, we run from drama. We'll put up with it for a day or two and it's like, God, you're a drama queen. I'm going to get a new friend. God runs to drama. He runs to it. So what is the answer to the blessing blocker of hard situations? It's trust. We repent of our sin, and then when we're in a bad situation, we trust God. We trust what he said in 2 Corinthians 2.14. We trust that Jesus is always leading us to victory. Always leading us to victory. Like last night, I'm watching the South Carolina-Vanderbilt game. Because I'm, I'm a Gamecocks fan, because my wife's a Gamecocks fan, right? Go Gamecocks. And like the first kickoff, Vanderbilt runs it back, and they're up 7 nothing. I'm like, crap. And then it's 14 nothing. I'm like, double crap. But at the end of the day, South Carolina won by a lot. I mean, what, what does that have to do with any of this? Well, it's just a chance for me to brag on the Gamecocks. I thought you'd enjoy that. And it means this. Man, sometimes it looks bad, but if we believe the Bible, if we trust God, He can take us through bad situations and we come out on the other end victorious. I mean, it's exactly what's going to happen tonight for the Panthers, right? Except they're not going to be behind Pittsburgh. They're just going to kill them, right? Aren't you glad that God's a Panthers fan? <laughs> I don't understand. I think it's so clear scripturally. All right. So blessing blocker number three. Finally, we get to it, right? Stupid people. This is what you came for. Stupid people. Um, since it's been a while since we saw the funny pictures, I brought more. Is that cool? 
Um, I found this the other day. I was doing research, getting ready for this, and I'm in my office, and I'm, I'm reading online, and I'm just, I'm losing. I'm dying. I'm laughing so hard. I'm wetting my pants. And Wendy's in the other room. She's like, what is so funny? I say, you've got to come see this. Now, these might not be nearly as funny for you as they were for me, but I just about couldn't breathe, okay, when I read these. And this is from a website that collects Facebook fails, Okay, so all these, these are people that actually put this stuff on Facebook and then people's, people's responses to them. It's just proof that there are more stupid people out in the world. So let's, let's just go through these. I'll read them to you. It's, it's fun. So the first one says, saw the dumbest elevator today. It had a button for the floor I was already on. And the response was, I don't know how to feel about this. You know you love someone when you save their texts and reread them when no one is watching. Marilyn Monroe. Um, second comment down. Marilyn Monroe died before text messaging was invented. Last comment. I am so embarrassed for you. It's <laughs> great. Uh, this is Steph and Philip right over here. Hello, wave to us. I think this is actually from them. Steph put up, someone told me you can pay for stuff on the internet by putting your credit card in the CD slot. Is that true? <laughs> Philip, because he's a smart butt, said, totally works, try it out. <laughs> Steph said, seriously, and then it's making noises. <laughs> Fun stuff. Um, proud mommy moment. She used the correct use of there, and she's only in second grade. I know 30-year-olds that can't do that. Ha ha. And what her daughter wrote was, can I do what they're doing? Okay, so I need to explain this to the Stanley County folks. <laughs> That's not the correct use of there, right? It should be T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E. And yes, I just saved you from a Facebook fail. You're welcome. I got a couple more. <laughs> James just learned that Africa isn't a country. Ha ha, it's not. Nope, it's not. That's crazy. So is it a developing country or just a continent? I don't know. I'll find out later in the semester and let you know. Yeah, they did. They did. It's fantastic. Keep going. How did people know what roads to take before Google Maps was made? They use maps. What? No, I said before Google Maps. <laughs> I'm not a bloody taxi service. If you want a lift, I expect money. That would make you a taxi service. <laughs> huh. <laughs> Garcia put, long day. Jesus makes things so hard on me. And Beth obviously goes to church because she uses this as a teaching moment. Doesn't he? But it's just for the best. Just keep him in your heart and keep praying, girl. It'll get better. Jesus works in mysterious ways in Garcia. But Beth, Jesus is my 14-year-old son. He was suspended from school for punching a janitor again. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. Um, nice picture of Mount Rushmore. I like Anthony's comment. Crazy how nature make that. Uh, that crazy old nature. Is 4th of July being celebrated in the 3rd or 4th this year? Because the 4th is a Monday. Are you serious? <laughs> this is my absolute favorite. Alexander, just finished eating a raw chicken breast. Somebody owes me $20. 
you're going to die, dude. Salmonella for sure. I ate chicken, not salmon, dude. <laughs> oh, boy. Janice is listed as single. You and dad divorced? I forgot to mention that to you. <laughs> so there are stupid people, and they are all over the Internet, yes? Just to make sure that you make the, the correlation that there are stupid people as well, like in real life, um, here's... Here's possibly the stupidest person I ever met in my life. When Wendy and I first got married, we lived in a duplex. Now, if you don't know what a duplex is, it's this house that's barely big enough for one family that is then cut in half for two families so that the person who owns it can make twice the money. That's what a duplex is. Ours was, I think, 700 square feet. And so it was small enough that if you came to our house, our duplex, which we were very proud of, you could stand, there was a, like, in the middle of the, of the duplex, there's like this where the heater would blow stuff out. You could stand on that and get our tour. So here's what we would do. We'd stand here and we'd go, there's the kitchen, there's the den, there's the bedroom, there's the study, there's the bathroom, welcome to our house. That was our house, okay, our little duplex. Now, I'm, I'm a husband, brand new husband, and I'm trying to think about my wife who's living in a duplex. There's no privacy. You can hear the people next to them. Like, if we're watching the same thing on TV, it's like stereo surround sound, right? So I'm thinking, what can I do for my wife to really make her day and my night? So I rented a hotel room. What would you do? So I rented this hotel room at Shoney's Inn. In Columbia, South Carolina, we lived in Columbia at the time, and it's Shoney's Inn. And the reason I went to Shoney's Inn is because, well, it's, it's Shoney's Inn, but also it's next to Shoney's Restaurant. And if you rented the night at Shoney's Inn, you got the free breakfast buffet at Shoney's, and you know it's all about the bacon, right, guys? I mean, like, Shoney's Bacon, if, I can't even talk, because I want some now. Like, it's not strips, it's like balls of bacon, right? Like, you pull them apart while you're eating them. It's great. Grease is everywhere. It's terrible for you. You should never go and leave it for me. So I rent this room, and I didn't tell Wendy about it because I wanted to surprise her. So she's, she's working at the hospital downtown, and I'm working at the YMCA. And I get off, and I pick her up, and I've got her bag packed. Everybody say, oh. Yeah, I've got her bag packed. She gets in the car. She sees the bag. She's like, what's going on? I said, we're not going home tonight, baby. We're, we're not? Where are we going? It's a surprise. So I... <laughs> why, why is that funny? I think it's fantastic. <laughs> wow, mocking my surprise. Okay, whatever. So, so we pull into the Shoney's Inn, and I said, wait here, baby. And she waits in the car, and I go inside, and I'm like, reservation for Jenkins? You know, and they're like, they look it up. Oh, are you, are you Mr. Jenkins? <laughs> well, I'm not Mrs. Jenkins, if that's what you're asking. Yes, I'm Mr. Jenkins. So they said, well, can I just get your license, and we'll just, like, make a copy of it for our records, and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, sure. So I put my wallet out. I give my license. And the girl at the, at the desk, I am not making this up. She did this. She looked at my license, and she went, oh, is there a problem? Well, you're from Columbia. Yeah, that's why my address says Columbia. We can't rent a room to you. You can't rent a room to me? Like, I've already called and made the reservation. My wife is in the car. And I'm thinking, like, I want to be in the room with my wife. She goes, we don't rent to people from Columbia. Okay, ma'am, do you know how many people live in Columbia? How much of the market share you've just like, why don't you rent to people? See, we don't rent to anybody within a 100-mile radius of Columbia. 
I mean, it's just, I don't know how you are right now, but like put yourself in my position, young groom, wanting to have a nice night with your wife. And I'm just trying to process this whole conversation because this is stupid. And I'm trying not to blow up at her, but do you ever just feel your blood start to boil? And you just don't want to, you're just like, if this keeps going, I'm going to punch somebody, right? And so I said, why, why, what is, what, 100 miles? How do you go with 100 miles? What's that about? She goes, well, here's the thing. We've noticed that, like, during prom season, the high school students will come and they'll rent rooms, and they just trash them. So we just decided we'd stop renting to people within 100 miles of Columbia, so we don't have that problem. And that's when I went, do I look like a teenager to you? Like, I'm a man. I'm 40 years old. I'm a man, right? Like that. I wasn't 40. Just leave it alone, okay? Just let's just move on. It's like, I'm not a boy. I'm like, I'm married. I've I've reserved the room. You're not going to rent it to anybody else. You're going to lose money if you don't give me the room. Give me the room. And she's like, we don't, no, we're not going to do it. Like, get the manager on the phone. Or let me talk to the manager. He's not here. She said, I can get him on the phone if you want me to. I said, yeah, absolutely. Call the manager and let me talk to the manager. And the whole time I'm doing this, I'm mad at this person. But what I'm thinking is I get the manager on the phone and the manager's going to say, I'm so sorry, sir, because the customer's always, (laughs) you fell for it too, you're idiots. So the, the manager gets on the phone. He says, what's the problem? I, so I explained the whole thing to him again. Like, I've already reserved the room. I'm right here. There's nobody else going to get the room. I got my bags, my wife, the whole deal. I'm a married man. I'm telling him all this stuff. I just want to get in there. And he's like, well, no, she's absolutely right. We, we can't rent to you, and we won't. What? I have to go back out to my car, to my wife, and the bag that's packed, and Tell her that we're going back to the duplex where you spin around in a circle to see the whole place. I was hot. I don't know how you would have been. I was hot. I was so mad. I put the phone down and I just started walking out. And as I'm walking out towards the car, they had those awesome automatic doors that like slide open, right? But they move really slow. And I was really fast because I was hot. And so I just like, it was like in the movies. I'm just walking out. It didn't move fast enough. I just went. Bam! That thing just flew off. Went in the bushes. It was awesome, except that Wendy's in the car going, oh, dear God, you know. So we go home to the duplex. It was not a great night for the Jenkins family that night. The point of that story is simply this. Stupid people are not just on Facebook. They're all around you. You will encounter them. So let's see what the Bible says about stupid people. A lot of people are surprised to find that God even talks about them. The entire book of Proverbs It's basically God saying, you're going to meet really dumb people. You need to know this stuff before you meet them so you'll make good choices after you do. Okay? And I'm not going to read you the whole book of Proverbs, but that's basically the whole book of Proverbs. Lots of good stuff in there. Here's here's four passages I want you to jot down, and then we'll, we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says this. It says that bad people, stupid people, can corrupt us. This is the verse that all teenagers hate and parents love. This is the verse that says, bad company corrupts good morals. So we always tell teenagers, hey, don't hang out with those people. They're terrible people. They'll mess you up. And the teenager's always like, no, they won't. I'm going to convert them to Jesus. And then later the teenager's like, I'm in trouble, right? Bad company corrupts good morals. So stupid people can corrupt us. Psalm 1, 1 through 4 says that stupid people can make us unfruitful. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says that stupid people can can get us trapped. They can lead us to places that trap us because, 
Proverbs 13.20 says that stupid people can take us to bad places. Now, if you've encountered people in your life that you would characterize as stupid, then you already know these things are true, right? You've already seen this in your life. You've already seen where they try to ruin things in your life. So the answer is, like, what, what is the answer to the blessing blocker of stupid people? If all these things are going to be done to us by difficult people, then what's the answer? And the answer is humility. That's the answer. The reason we need to be humble around stupid people it's because if we didn't learn anything else from sin and situations, it's this. We also were stupid people. <laughs> Some of us, maybe me, still are. And man, when you're dealing with somebody and you, and you see them not as a person who's bugging the snot out of you, but as somebody who needs Jesus, it changes everything about that conversation. So now that woman's not somebody behind a counter at a hotel just who woke up that morning and said, today I'm going to tick this dude off from Columbia. But she also is somebody in a tough situation. She also may be dealing with, this, with sin. And so now I have humility when I deal with her. The Bible says that we were enemies of God. We were far from him. And Jesus, instead of walking away from us, actually brought us near to God. So Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read you these verses, and then this is just God's practical advice on how to deal with stupid people. And it's not what you wanted, okay? It's not what I want, because what I want is kill them, don't you? Is that too honest? Like, sometimes I find myself behind a slow car. I just want to ram them off the road. Now, right now, you're, you're making a note, never be in front of Paul, <laughs> I mean, not because I'm a jerk. It's just like you're in a hurry, and it's just like, come on. I want it to be like go-karts, right? Like, I don't want them to get hurt. I just want to, like, nudge them into the ditch and then just move on. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> so full of sin. But I'm a Panthers fan, and that's all that matters. So this is God's practical advice, and it's not going to be what we want it to be. So Romans chapter 12, you can just jot that down, verses 14 through 21. Boy, these would be great verses for you and I to just read every day this week. Before you go out of the house to go to work, read these verses. Because you're going to encounter people this week and every day that are just going to drive you nuts. And it's good to have this in your mind, okay? Here's what God said. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't, don't repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So just practically, let me just sum those verses up, okay? Here's what God says practically to do with really difficult, stupid people. Verse 14, he tells us to bless them. We're supposed to bless stupid people. Verse 15, don't let those people make you cold and uncaring. And if you're around really hard, difficult people, isn't that what happens? Like we suddenly, we just don't care anymore. And he's like, hey, don't do that. Don't let them make you cold. Verse 16, stay humble because you remember where Jesus found you. 
Verse 17, don't match pain for pain, but do what is right even in front of those people that are difficult. Verse 18, it's a great verse. He says, look, do everything you can to live in peace with them. And let me just say this right now. Everybody look at me real because I want to make sure you hear this from me, from my mouth. Sometimes the only way to live at peace with some people is to not live with those people. Okay? Yes. Like when I was growing up, there came this point where if my dad and I had stayed in the same house, we would have killed each other. Some of that's because I was growing as a man, and you just, it's time to just move on, right? But some of us are around people. I've, I've got people in my life right now. I can live at peace with them because I don't see them, okay? That's, that's what that means, He's not telling you to make amends, to make sure that they like you. Because there are some people, I don't care what you do, they will never be at peace with you. But the issue is, can you lay your head on your pillow tonight and say to God, as far as it was possible with me, I have tried to live in peace with those people. Okay? That's the goal. Verse 19 is a great verse for people that want to see others suffer. Verse 19 says, leave room for God's wrath. So sometimes what happens is somebody's stupid, they're, they're difficult with us, and we try to get them back. Because I don't know how you are. Like, if you just walked up right now, let's not try this out. If Thomas walked up and just punched me in the face, one, I'd be scared because it's Thomas, right? But I probably wouldn't go, thanks. I would want to hit him back. And then he would kill me. But, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying, that's what I want, would want to do. So sometimes we get evil, we want to give back evil. Sometimes, but when we're repaying evil for evil, what we're not doing is we're not leaving room for God to work in the soul of that person. Because then all it becomes is man versus man instead of that man versus God. Sometimes, man, when you just leave people and put them in the hands of God, it just opens up all kinds of space in their life for God to start working with them. And that's a good thing. So leave room. Put them in God's hands. Verse 20, let your kindness lead them to life. And verse 21, don't let their bad choices overcome you. Don't be overcome by their bad choices. Is any of that going to be easy? No, none of it is. Because they're difficult people and they're in our lives. It's not going to be easy. But here's the thing I want you to remember. Um, none of us were easy to love either. But somebody loved us, right? I mean, think about yourself at your worst. Somebody loved you. Like this morning on the way to church, you were at your worst. And your spouse did not kick you out of the car. They did not, like, hit the power locks and reach over and open the door, unhook your belt and go, boom! That's great, isn't it? They thought about it, maybe, but they didn't do it. I mean, somebody loved you at your worst. And if nobody else did, you know Jesus did. And so when we remember that, it humbles us. We start saying, God, use me somehow to love others at their worst. So there's three blessing blockers. One's eternal, internal, that's sin. And two are external, that's situations and stupid people. So here's what we've got to learn to do. I'm going to read you two more passages. We've got to learn to not look internally or externally for our happiness. We've got to start looking eternally. It's a passage in Romans where Paul wrote this. He said that the light and momentary troubles that we experience down here are actually working for us to get a greater glory in eternity. 
So, I mean, what's that mean? It means that the things that are happening to us here are actually working for us there. So if nothing else, you encounter a difficult person at Walmart. I mean, there's never difficult people at Walmart ever. But let's just say you encounter one and you walked away from that having tried to, to do what we just talked about, those practical steps. You can get in the car and you can actually say, wow, God, like somehow in a way I don't understand that whole situation is working something for me. And that's small stuff compared to what's going on in the rest of the world, right? Christians are persecuted all the time. That's working for them. It starts to change the way that we see persecution. And then um, let me give you the big idea, and I'm going to read one more verse over you. The big idea today is simply this. We're talking about blessing blockers. The big idea is God can make a way where there seems to be That wasn't it at all. Just kidding. I'm so hung up on that song. I used to listen to 94.1. They played it all the time. Here's the big idea. God can make a way through whatever is in our way. He can make a way through whatever is in our way. So what does that mean, right? It means that sin is a blessing blocker. So if we sin, God has made a way through that. His name is Jesus, and if we repent, he takes that away and restores that. Situations block blessings, right? And so God's made a way. He's made a way for us to see him as greater than any situation in our life. And we can trust that whatever's going on in our life, he is leading us through it to victory. That's trust. And and God even has an answer for stupid people. Like God knew before the beginning of time that we would live here and we would meet the people that we meet. He knew that we would encounter stupid people. And he said, man, I got a solution for that too humility and when we remember who we are and where we came from and how he loves us it just removes that whole thing and the blessings of God can begin to flow through us to them as well God can make a way through whatever is in our way now before I read this last passage to you I want you to close your eyes and bow your head I want to ask you two questions and then we're going to be done It's possible that you're here today and you've never chosen to follow Jesus. That you you look at the card in front of you, that connection card in the chair, and you pull it out each week and look at it and you're kind of like, one of these days I'm going to check that box that says, today I chose to follow Jesus. I tell you, there's there's only one sin that you and I are going to go to hell for. It's not bluegrass and country music, although that might be close. The sin that we're going to pay for for all of eternity is simply that we've chosen to reject Jesus because he is our only salvation. So if you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never said, yes, I want to follow him. I want to today start making every decision in my life based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to make that choice today. And if you're here and that's you and you want to do that, you want to pray, I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I'd love to pray with you today about that. Anybody here today? Thank you. Now here's the second group I want to talk to. I want to talk to the believers, Christians. Now you don't have to be a Christian for God to want to help you through a hard time, okay? That's not it at all. But the verse that I'm getting ready to read is a promise from God to believers. And so if you're here and you're following Jesus, like, you know what? 
those three blessing blockers, they're in my life. I've, I've got stuff in my life that, you know, when you were reading through the things about sin, I had something that God just kept saying, that's it, man, that's it. I'm in a situation right now that I, nobody did, did anything. I didn't earn it. I'm just in it. It's tough. I'm dealing with difficult people. If that's you and you want us to pray for you, I'd love to pray for you. I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm in that position. I want you to pray for me. Thank you. Here's the last thing I'm going to ask you to do, okay? And everybody's eyes are closed. This is just me and you and Jesus, okay? If you raise your hand just now, I just want you to stand where you are because I want to read a promise from Scripture over you, okay? I just want you to stand where you are. If you just raise your hand, I just want to read this to you. Kind of the, the, the final word over what God says He'll do for people that are in tough situations, all right? It's found in Isaiah, chapter 43. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick, this is that God, and this is what He says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past, because I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. God can make a way through whatever is in our way. And the way we're going to close this morning is I'm going to ask you, church, if you're, if you're next to somebody who's standing, I'm going to ask you just to stand up and put your hand on their shoulder. And we're just going to close this morning praying that what we just read, they would see. We serve a God who makes a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. And when it's all said and done, what is God's response to the things that block blessings in our lives? He doesn't wait until we figure out how to get out of them. He steps into those situations and makes a way through the things that are in our way so that He can once again pour His blessings through us. So God, we just close this morning praying for these that have stood. I thank you, Lord, for the promise we just read. You are the God who for the children of God, you made a way. Man, you, you made a way through rivers and seas. You parted waters. You, you did stuff that nobody thought could be done in order to get your children from one spot to another. And that same promise is true for us today. Those that stood, man, we need you to be a way maker right now. We need you to do what nobody else can do but you. And I thank you that we can stand strong on that promise. You will make a way through whatever is in our way. And we thank you, God, for the blessings that are going to come out of this morning. These that stood, I pray that this week they would already begin to see 
you restoring those blessings to their lives. Because you've got a plan for them, God. And it is everywhere they go. You want to pour these blessings to them and through them onto people all around them. So they can lead them to Christ. We thank you for all these things, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen.